<laughs> this is how we should start the show. Laughter that is completely out of context to the audience. Welcome to Buddies Without Borders, the podcast that, uh, as we have previously discussed, still has no tagline, which is a problem nope. for me because I wish to segue into a timeline every time I introduce <laughs> us. My name is Stevie Jackson. I'm an actor, writer, producer in Vancouver, BC. My name is Christopher Royce. I'm a writer and a podcaster in the San Francisco Bay Area of California, where we are currently, I think, doing very good with the COVID, where we're getting through it. We're modeled for the country as per usual in many other areas. Excellent. Uh, I hope you all didn't hear the massively loud motorcycle that just went by. But if if you wondered what that sound was, that's what that sound was. I thought it was an airplane. Uh, Nope. Don't live close enough to the airport. Although I I do live close enough to the water planes, like the Mm -hmm. seaplanes, but uh, they don't sound like that. I was in a seaplane once, ironically slash not ironically, not sure. uh, The one time or one of the times I was in Canada. Oh, yeah. Took a little seaplane from Seattle area to Vancouver area. Uh-huh. Yes, that is one of the ways you can do it. Um, Water I've, taxi, basically. <laughs> yeah, I've taken them over to Salt Spring Island. I have a friend who lives over there, and um, I it's been years now since I've been over there to visit. But, uh, yeah, I usually fly because the ferry takes all day. Oof. Like, all day. Um, whereas the plane is like, the whole situation is maybe an hour. Yeah. Like, including boarding and deep, like it's, I'd say it's less, like it's a very quick flight. Also, I usually get to sit up front next to the pilot because for some reason, <laughs> nobody else wants that seat. Uh-huh. And it's the best view. I had the, I guess, first row seat, which is right behind the command couch. So Still I got good. to look over the shoulder. That was very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I think people are scared maybe because it's not like being on a jet, right? Like you are no, very aware that you are flying mm-hmm. in a little tiny plane and yeah. you can see everything below you, above you, around you. Like you, you're not so high up that you are just cruising in the clouds. Like you can uh-huh. feel the plane <laughs> flying, um, but it's, it's great. And it's on a clear day. It's just beautiful. Like yeah. I, I can't believe no one wants it. Every time I've been able to do it and got in the front seat, I always think, like, I was thinking I'm gonna have to compete for it. You know, oh, they yeah, say, yeah. Will I, does anyone want the front? And everyone's like, mm, no, I don't <laughs> And I was like, yes, me, I want the, I'll sit with the pilot. I, can I fly the plane? I don't really want to fly the plane, but I like to pretend. You get to wear yeah. the headset, you can hear all the, um, all the talking the back and chatter. forth. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I can't make any of it out. <laughs> and of course you don't chat to the pilot because he has his headphones on too like i have no mm-hmm. idea what anyone's saying because it's also very loud outside your headphones and i'm not uh-huh. trained to understand their code language um <laughs> but it's super fun i really like it and i don't understand people who don't want to do it yeah prop planes are very loud and very vibrating and so mm-hmm. i understand why people who are used to regular commercial jet airliners do get a little uh, nervous anxious that that makes sense to me but i have yeah. flown myself small mm-hmm. planes and yeah it's uh it's a car in the sky it's weird yeah it's like a car in the sky and uh, most of my flying of course is on jets you know mm-hmm. most of my flights are things like vancouver to toronto or vancouver to los angeles mm-hmm. one time vancouver to um 
where'd I go? Like Manchester, England or something. So like, yeah, I'm certainly used to those, but that's like after takeoff, you're just in a bus in the sky. Like you don't really feel anything. It's like, being yeah, in you're yeah. in waiting room in the DMV in the sky. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and you're trapped in a little tiny seat. You can't really move around. And I mean, not that the seats are so big on the tiny planes, but at least uh-huh. I think it's a much shorter ride. There's like maybe five other passengers. Um, it's just, it's, it feels weirdly much more chill to me mm-hmm. than the whole, like, oh God, we got to bring our baggage and get on the, th-. like I, you get on the seaplane with a backpack. Yeah. There's no real, I shouldn't say this, I guess there's no like real security. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, probably... what are you bringing? <laughs> like... Yeah. You there, are you holding an anvil? Like, no, there's no yeah. secrets. <laughs> yeah, it's there. I packed a lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if that sandwich is over four ounces. We can't no. have that on the plane. Damn it. Yeah, there is definitely a weight limit for bags. Oh uh, well, yeah, place. there's that too. And people, they do the the one weird part of it is they do ask you what you weigh. Because mm-hmm. they need to know. <laughs> like it, it matters enough on the small planes that they they can't just average it out like I imagine they do on big planes. Where they're yeah. like, oh, if we just assume that everyone's 150 pounds, that'll account for everyone, mm-hmm. like the children who are way, way under that and the larger adults who are over it, like we'll kind of, we'll just, you know, ration 150 pounds per passenger will be okay. Yeah. You, can't, you really can't do that on a tiny plane. <laughs> well, and I think the other major issue for a giant airplane in your 747s is that the fuel weight And so the weight of the combined plane and fuel, the percentage of the total plane weight that is the people is much Mm -hmm. less. Whereas like the planes that I trained on are like 1,400, 1,500 pounds. Yeah. Like my weight is Mm -hmm. like me and the instructor are 25% of the weight of the plane. Like that's significant on the plane Uh that's small. Exactly. So they need they need to know. And then you have to factor in on the big planes. There's also, so you have so many people you've assigned them an average weight yeah. and there's baggage. How many bags is everyone checking? Mm-hmm. Are they over the maximum? Are they, you know, so I'm sure a lot of math goes into it, which is one reason I don't want to do it, but yeah, um, I do much. enjoy being, I enjoy being a passenger on a little tiny seaplane. I enjoy <laughs> flying on big planes less, mostly just because it's so stressful. Like yep. it used to be fun and now it's just an ordeal. Take off your coat, take off your shoes, take off you your pants. through your bag. Well, <laughs> yeah. that day might come. I'm glad it didn't. I mean, you know, one guy <laughs> hasn't <laughs> unsuccessfully tried a shoe bomb. We're all still taking off our shoes. Another guy unsuccessfully tried an underwear bomb, but thank goodness, mm-hmm. you know, they just scan us in the machine for that. Um, I was going to say a minute ago too, <laughs> now that I remembered, uh, when I was taking flying lessons, one of the weeks that I did that, I happened to also have gone horseback riding. Oh yes. And I, I was able to compute that the horse weighed more than the plane. Oh wow. And that was that was a weird. That's upsetting to me. I don't <laughs> think a horse should weigh more than a plane. It was a big horse, <laughs> and the planes are of course designed to be as light as possible. I guess so. But yeah, I am pretty sure that. Uh, I can't remember the name of the horse or of the plane for that matter. Well, let's not embarrass up, the horse. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was all muscle. That horse was in great shape. It was the right. Dwayne the Rock Johnson of horses. Okay. He was just eating bales and bales of cod. Yeah, I gotcha. Uh, I also need to briefly apologize to the listeners for any squeaking they might hear. That is my chair. Should be mine too. <laughs> Going great over here, you guys. <laughs> yep. Professional <laughs> podcasting. Look, the chair squeaks. It's not getting replaced for some time. Deal with it. 
Welcome to the podcast where we talk about <laughs> the background sounds. I just thought I would address it after the off mic conversation we had about a sound that was happening on someone else's podcast that then later had to be addressed. <laughs> I'm heading it off at the pass. Yeah, we don't need to embarrass anyone else any further. But No, that person shall not be named. Oh, I admire her multitasking abilities very much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and since we're not naming her, I will tell you off the mic about another thing I saw her do that was fun. Oh, okay, sure. We'll save that for after. Uh, so what what are we actually what what are we actually are we going to talk about? That's how words <laughs> words make sentences in this in this mouth. Um, well, given our our plain discussion. Mm. Uh, it's actually very relevant to one of the things I wanted to talk about today. Well, then let's do a segue. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into that. Uh, I had thought we would talk about something else up front that you and I both want to talk about, but I think we should save, save that, that, that because this, yeah, because this leads right in. Um, so, and leads very much into the whole like Canadian and American situation mm-hmm. and is fairly timely to when we are recording slightly less timely to when you're all going to hear this. Um, but I just finally uh, had time to sit down and watch the filmed version of Come From Away. Okay. Um, which is a similar format to the film version of Hamilton. This is a Broadway show that was filmed for uh, the rest of the world to see. I believe the original idea with this one was to do a full-on movie adaptation. Okay. But then the pandemic happened. And so they pivoted to, because it's easier to put a Broadway cast in a bubble for a little sure. while. Than a whole movie. Than a whole movie. Um, and so they they pivoted to, um, they went back into the theater during the shutdown. They had an audience. I'm not entirely sure where they got this audience, but the audience was masked. So I'm sure it was fine. Friends and family, maybe? <laughs> maybe. you don't, We don't really see. But they yeah. it's the Schoenfeld Theater in New York. And they... Um, they did a full filmed production of Come From Away. So for those who don't know, Come From Away is, uh, it's not a 9-11 story, it's a 9-12 story. It is the story of the 38 planes that were diverted after September 11th or on September 11th -hmm. that landed in Gander, Newfoundland, Canada. And uh, those people were stranded essentially in Newfoundland for five days. They were there from the 11th to the 16th. So anyone who was flying cross Atlantic, like in that part of the sky and headed for the United (laughs) States that day was diverted to Canada and specifically to Gander airport in Newfoundland. So Gander is a very, really quite a small town at the time. It's probably grown a little bit, but I would guess not, not a ton because it Mm -hmm. is, Newfoundland. Um, I love yeah. Newfoundland. I do. I'm, uh, I should, I should stipulate at the moment, um, at this moment that I am by blood, I am half Newfoundlander. Um, oh. my mother's entire family, except for her and her younger sister, she and her younger sister, uh, were born in Newfoundland, including her parents, her older brother, uh, and generations and generations of our family back to, we're not sure when we don't know when we got there. Wow. Um, yeah, for better or for worse, colonial settler wise. We don't know when we got there. As far back as the census goes, we're there. Um, I have personally never been, my mom has been a couple of times, um, but her her family is from Newfoundland. And I have always considered that a pretty big chunk of my heritage, especially since we don't know when we came over. Like, mm-hmm. I know that if you go back even farther at some point, you go all the way back to England. 
but sure, you know, sure. culturally speaking, there's definitely a part of me that identifies with Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. And I will go someday. It's on my bucket list. So Gander <laughs> um, is, it had 9,000 people in it 20 years ago. That was the population. Current yes. population, 11,700 as of 2016. Okay. So again, it's grown a little in 20 mm-hmm. years. Um, so on that day, on September 11th, another 7,000 people from all over the world oh, wow. landed in Gander, Newfoundland and had to be taken care of. They had nothing. Um, yeah. They were not allowed to access their luggage except for their carry-ons. Oof. Some of them were held on the plane for, I think the record for how long people spent on a plane that day was 28 hours. Oh man, that's brutal. Depending on when they'd gotten on. Yeah. Um, and of course they weren't necessarily told what had happened. Mm-hmm. It was all still happening and becoming clear at the beginning, of course, Yeah. Uh, whether this was an accident, whether it was a terrorist attack, which it turned out to be what had happened they didn't you know you don't have normal news radio up in the sky so the pilots didn't necessarily know they just knew they were being told to land in gander newfoundland so the reason gander has an enormous airport considering its size and the reason for that is that gander was it used to be a refueling stop so back before planes had progressed to where they are today if you were crossing the atlantic Mm-hmm. You had to stop in Gander, Newfoundland. It's the last place you stop before there's nothing until you hit Europe. Yeah. Or nothing until you hit North America, the rest of North America. So mm-hmm. everybody has been to Gander. Like the Beatles first touched down in Gander. <laughs> um, the you know, the royalty has been to Gander. Like it was, it was the place that you stopped to refuel. And it um had had fallen out of it was still a working airport. But, you know, they had a few flights a day and there was talk and maybe still is talk of tearing it down. Although I think now we won't tear it down because what if that ever happens again? If if Gander Airport hadn't been there, those people would have had nowhere to go. We don't have another airport close enough that can take that many flights in that time without also hitting American airspace, Uh, which they were not allowed to do. So 38 planes full of about 7,000 people landed in this small town in (laughs) newfoundland and the people of newfoundland or the people of gander and its surrounding communities looked after them for four days they took them to their homes they donated everything they had um you know because they didn't there was no shelter big enough they used the school they uh suddenly they had to feed an extra seven thousand people plus you know an awful lot of the nine thousand people living there were out helping so they turned the community hockey rink into a giant fridge that's where they stored food whoa yeah and they housed people at like the the elk club they housed people at the salvation army they housed people all over the place um and when it was all over the, the plane people, as they came to be known, <laughs> um, a bunch of them kicked in together for a scholarship that I believe is still going on as a thank Aww, you. Uh, nice. Gander is also, I think, the only one of the only other places in the world, maybe the only other place in the world that received a piece of steel from the World Trade Center that is on display wow. as a gift. Um, and it's it's just it's a really lovely story of the friendship between our nations and also the rest of the world, the way that that the people of Gander stepped up to look after 7,000 people, many of whom, but not nearly all of whom were American. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's incredible. And it's been turned into a, a lovely musical that really highlights the sort of 
Celtic roots that Newfoundland has and that their music, <laughs> some of their traditions, if you've ever heard of screeching in. Um, nope. <laughs> oh, there's a whole scene of screeching in. Screeching in is how you become um, an honorary Newfoundlander. Okay. It is something that I uh, will feel compelled to do someday <laughs> when I visit. It involves, uh, screech is essentially like bad rum. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's Jamaican style, but not very good rum. Uh, and Interesting in, choice for where we are well, in the world. <laughs> it's, you know, most of Newfoundland for a very long time was pretty rural. You got what you could get. You yeah. made what you could make. Of course. So if they're a modern place now, you know, they're not some backwater, let's be clear. Um, but I think when Screech was developed, probably, you know, <laughs> um, or someone brought it from Jamaica or tried to recreate something they'd had in Jamaica. I don't really know Boosted where it came from. from. duty-free at the airport. Don't, don't know. Um, but anyway, so that's what Screech is. You can buy it now. Like you can buy it in liquor stores in Canada. There is Screech to be had. I tried it once. Eh, I wouldn't bother again. But uh, screeching in involves drinking a shot of screech, kissing a cod, and uh, sometimes they're you know you got to put on a little outfit. So okay, <laughs> like like a like a raincoat and hat and boot and, and stuff. Sure, um, it's, it's proper hazing. It's yeah, it's uh, <laughs> but the musical itself is is beautiful. Um, I was very fortunate to get to see it live in 2016, and I remembered right before we started recording that I still have the program. Ah, because I, see. I have a habit of keeping theater programs. <laughs> I have a little box. I keep stuff too. <laughs> I put my theater programs in there and they don't go back as far as I wish they did because some of my childhood ones got thrown out. Yeah. Um, but I do have a lot of them. So I got to see the original Broadway cast just before they went to Broadway, like just weeks before they went to Broadway. Wow. They uh, did their final pre-Broadway run in Toronto. And Christmas of 2016, that's what my family did as that was our sort of family present together was we went, <laughs> we went in and we saw come from away. So, uh, and then it, it moved to Broadway. It did really well. It won a bunch of Tonys. It was nominated for a bunch more. And now anyone who wants to and has access to Apple TV can watch it. And mm -hmm. I really, really recommend you do. Um, I think it's of particular interest to Canadians and Americans. Sure. Uh, it is. And the reason I pulled out the program was I thought, I know they got most of the Broadway cast back. I'm not sure that they got everyone mm. and they didn't, but they got, they got uh, the two people that I thought it just isn't in my head, my <laughs> opinion, the two people that I thought were most important to get back were number one, Petrina Bromley. Okay. Because she is the only actual Newfoundlander in the cast. Oh, sure. Yeah. Petrina Bromley is a professional actress from Newfoundland, born and raised in Newfoundland. And the only person in the cast who was doing a truly authentic Newfoundlander accent, although they're all doing very well. They all do a great job, but hers is real. And I enjoy knowing that. Uh, and then the other one is a woman named Jen Colella, who plays what is arguably the main character of the okay. show, Captain Beverly Bass, who is a real person. Mm -hmm. She was one of the 38 pilots that day. She was flying from Paris to Dallas, got diverted. She'd flown over that area many, many times. She'd never been to it. Sure. Um, but she has an amazing story in her own right. And so I could see why they chose to profile her or to pick her out of all the other pilots who were there that day, um, mm -hmm. because she was she was the very first female captain for American Airlines. Um, wow. Who, yeah. At a time when it wasn't a thing to be a woman and a pilot. 
So what, um, like 80s? She would be about 70 now. So if mm -hmm. you do that math. So she was uh, in her early 50s, 50, 51. It's, it's right in one of the songs, her age at the time. <laughs> she was, <Fair> enough. <laughs> I believe she was 51, if the song is to be believed, uh, <laughs> when they landed in Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. um, and that was 2000. Yeah, no. I, so I would I, back up I 30 was, years. Okay, there we go. Is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, I would back Understood. up. Mm -hmm. I would back up to like the 70s, probably. Wow. Um, although she did... Oh, I, you know what? I think she made Captain in, in the 80s because uh, that's also in the song. I want to say 1986, but I'm not sure. She was the cool. first female captain. She had the first all-female crew on an airplane. Wow. Yeah, and she you know, faced a fair amount of sexism coming up because girls shouldn't fly. And, and she was, you know, out there trying to become a pilot while the World War II pilots, who of course were all men, had all the jobs. Sexism in the airline industry, you say. Interesting. Who could imagine? Interesting. Hmm. Um, but she's a fascinating lady and she's played beautifully by Jen Colella, who is uh, best known for, for Broadway stuff. Um, hmm. She's got some film credits. I don't think I've seen any of them, um, but she had, she was in uh, If Then with Adina Menzel shortly before doing Come From Away. I think Come From Away raised her profile very, like quite a bit, because she was nominated for a Tony for her performance as, awesome. as Beverly Bass. And we should, if we're, if we don't drop it in, we should link to um, her doing what should be the showstopper song of the whole thing, which is called Me in the Sky, which is okay. basically Beverly Bass's story. It would be a showstopper, except that there's no intermission. It comes exactly where intermission should come. Oh. It ends on that note where like you want to stand up and applaud, but you can't because the next scene is already happening. <laughs> that was my experience in the theater. It's like, oh, it's time to, oh, no, we're moving on. Okay. Um, <laughs> they, did, they actually did uh, make a small change between Toronto and Broadway that I can see was to kind of get people to not try to stand up and applaud. Like they make it, they make it clear that something else is going to happen now. Uh, but it's, it's beautiful. And I think it's a really nice way to, to commemorate 9-11 if you're going to. Sure. Um, it's how I chose to do that this year because, you know, we're not going to get all into it, but a lot of, a lot of stuff came out of 9-11 and a lot of it was not great. <laughs> you know, two wars, Islamophobia, et cetera. Uh, a parade I, of jingoistic nonsense. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really feel that you could write, you can draw a direct line from 9-11 to Trump. And uh, I don't want to talk about all that right now, but yeah. what I do want to talk about is that I think this is the kind of story we should tell. Yeah. Um, it's written by a couple, a married couple, uh, Irene Sankoff and David Hine, whose previous credits include yet another wonderful Canadian musical that I think <laughs> did a New York Fringe Festival called My Mother's Lesbian Jewish Wiccan Wedding. Okay. <laughs> and it is based on David's uh, real life of his mother coming out uh, as a lesbian when he was a teenager, changing her whole life and eventually uh, marrying a Wiccan. Uh, and they had a lesbian Jewish Wiccan wedding and it's great fun. The songs are fantastic. Um, there, there's a song called straight white male. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Uh, so if you can find oh boy. that one, sadly was never commemorated on film to my knowledge. I do have the soundtrack, which I think is no longer available. Um, cause it was mainly a fringe show and then it got a longer run in Toronto. But if you can find my mother's lesbian Jewish Wiccan wedding, I encourage you to find it cause it is great. 
and it's a nice sort of uh, preview of the kind of stuff that this couple can do when they mm. write together and it's fantastic so so yeah so that that's come from away and the beauty of the film is that you will see I'm gonna say like 90 to 95 percent of the original cast because a lot of them have moved on since Broadway Jen Colella in particular I noticed yeah. had moved on and I think I know I was one of many people on Twitter who, when they announced a film version, was like, you got to get her back, man. You got it. Like other women have played this role, but she's the definitive. Um, and there are all kinds of you can find this, too. There's all kinds of pictures of her and and the actual Captain Beverly Bass. And hold one up for Chris to see. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> well, we'll put it on the Tumblr. We'll yeah, there you go. Yeah. I so there's Jen with the, with the real Beverly. Mm -hmm. um and fun fact the captain's jacket that jen colella wears all through the musical is beverly bass's actual real captain's Whoa. jacket from the time she gave it to her uh to keep and to use in the show that's cool it's very cool the whole thing's very cool you should watch it on your apple tv when you're not watching ted lasso <laughs> you should watch your ted lasso <laughs> yeah eventually <laughs> um but yeah i thought that was a nice segue from airplanes because of the the 38 planes uh, <laughs> there's, there's a whole song about flying airplanes and learning to fly airplanes a lot of the songs take place on airplanes it's uh, and there's there's a lot of humor in it too and one of my i would think one of my favorite experiences because it's very you know it does deal with 9 11 so it's very it's also very sad but it's they built a lot of humor in there yeah. um but one of my the, something i didn't expect that was a great experience for me as i was watching it this time was the first time i saw it in a live theater I saw it with what I imagine was a mostly, if not fully Canadian audience. <laughs> and when I saw it on film, they have a live audience and you can hear mm. them react. Yeah. And that audience I would imagine is mostly, if not fully American. And the different places, the places where the Canadian audience lost it and laughed and places where Americans don't are fascinating <laughs> like you guys clearly don't know what shoppers is and why it's funny that that's the biggest store in that town yep um and yeah, also you... just just the recognition <laughs> of shoppers like there's not a canadian alive who doesn't know what that is you had tweeted something about that and i did not know the context but you, oh. i remember seeing something about you saying the difference in this thing i'm watching canadian reactions american reaction that sort of yes. thing like yeah the the <laughs> i think there's, there's a one <laughs> There's one other moment where I laugh really hard and where I remember the Canadian audience get it, giving it a big laugh and the Americans don't laugh at all. And it's fascinating to me, but it's after they've finally, after, you know, 28 hours or whatever, gotten these people off the planes and onto school buses, which by the way, there was a school bus strike going on at the time too. So they like had to negotiate with the oh, wow. school bus drivers union to get them to come off the picket line to take these 7,000 people somewhere because they weren't going to fit in the mayor's Toyota. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, there, so there one busload of people at least went to a Salvation Army shelter. Mm -hmm. And you guys have Salvation Army, yes? Uh-huh. So, uh, so the members of the Salvation Army have uniforms. They have church uniforms okay. that look military like they're the salvation army so it's a sort of a military style yeah uh, but they don't wear them like it's a dress uniform right like you don't wear it all the time um for services but of course out of respect and as a as a welcome as a greeting uh -huh. the members of this church had put on their uniforms and they were all standing outside the shelter to welcome the people yeah and the people on the bus were terrified of them uh -huh. because they were like there are soldiers everywhere 
Now in yeah. Canada, this gets a huge laugh because to us, first of all, completely absurd that we would send soldiers for this situation to welcome yep. you to a shelter. Yep. And also, you know, just the idea that the, the Sally Ann uniforms would be mistaken for our actual military. Quite hilarious. The Americans don't laugh at all. And I wonder, is this because you would send soldiers to greet the plain people at a shelter? Well, you like our military who's... was out. They were there to help. No one knew if there were yeah. bombs on the planes or whatever. By the time the passengers have been processed and were being driven to the church shelter, like I you guess... were not going to meet them with military. That's absurd. <laughs> I, I agree that that is absurd. Um, I will add two things. I'm looking at pictures of these uniforms and they seem to mm -hmm. be just like navy blue suits with white shirts. And then there are and, like... Unless you have like a rank, yeah. Yeah, well, and then there are like um, shoulder boards yeah. And like on the like um, on the on the lapel, yes, epaulets. And yeah. then on the lapel is a big red. I'm gonna say hexagon with a gold S in it. So it doesn't look like any regular military uniform. But if you are a naturally paranoid person who's never been to Canada, <laughs> I guess you can make that leap of a lot of people all dressed the same. Yeah. But, uh, like yeah. They... I guess the the other half of that is that if if we, if Americans, if, yeah. if our government were sequestering foreign flights during a time of crisis, mm -hmm. it would not be a shock if there was a military presence there just to sort of keep everybody in right. line, right. which I and don't was, think is necessarily reasonable, but I think that is reasonable to expect, if nothing else. I'm comfortable with the logic of it, if not the content of it. Yeah, like our, our military was for sure at Gander Airport. Like yeah, that's yeah. document. Police and military were absolutely there, of course. Yeah, it's an international this was report. A, it was an international incident, but yeah. they were not at the Salvation Army shelter. But yeah, uh -huh. when you look at the uniforms, they look a little bit like the dress blues that the police or, sure. or uh, military mm -hmm. personnel might wear to receive an award or something. But it's not like yeah. fight it. Yeah. But it's the dress. It's similar-ish, but it's also to me clear. There's also a red version, by the way. Um, oh, it's clearly not an actual military uniform but again there were people from all over the world um well we might expect that americans might might know what our military uniforms look like a little bit i would not necessarily <laughs> expect people from you know Africa i'm not gonna give to my know. countrymen any credit in that department all like, right I mean, they, yeah, okay I most tried. americans <laughs> probably think the mounties are your military like let's <laughs> yeah they also seem to think that the mounties wear that red dress uniform at all times yep that's uh, correct they, they Go do on. not they do not <laughs> <laughs> and ride horses everywhere, including inside their own homes. Go on. No, but sometimes they do. I, every once in a while, I do see actual mounted police go down my street, and it's always kind of fun. Yeah. Like, you know, I know the police are very problematic, but I like the horses. You can't blame the horses. They're just doing their little horse jobs. Presumably. They, they were made to do this. They were... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, yes, we do have legit have some mounted police. I have never seen them seen them go down my street on their horses in their dress uniforms. They are always mm. in their normal blue working uniforms. Yeah, like they're, what they're doing when I see them, what they're doing is they're on their way to patrol Stanley Park or on their way back from patrolling Stanley Park. That's yeah. the only place in the city that I'm aware of that they actually ride horses to do their jobs. I think that's how most. Uh, police departments in the states who have mountain divisions i think it's for off-roading i would imagine yeah yeah like the mountains, park of course. in new york and whatnot like yeah yeah and the mounties were established you know back before we had built cities or before <laughs> cities were what they are today you know yeah um 
when most of the yeah. country was still off-road. <laughs> yes, and Vancouver also has its own city police force, so we don't see the RCMP as much around here because there is yeah. such a thing as the VPD. Um, yeah, anyway, people should see Come From Away. Hooray. <laughs> oh, the title itself, by the way, is a reference to if you're not from Newfoundland, mm -hmm. even if you have moved there. Oh, and been like been there for 20 years or perhaps moved as a child and been raised most of your life in Newfoundland, you are from away. Yeah. You are a come from away. And so all 7,000 of these people were come from aways. Did anyone stay? Did sure, they talk yeah. about that in the show? People just like, oh, I want to live here now. Um, oh, does anyone from any of the plain people stay? Yeah, do any of the plain people like, oh, I think I'm just going to stay in Gander. This is cool. Uh, not that I know of. I do know. <laughs> I feel like if this were a fictional story, one of the threads would be if like. If it were fictional, I think one. Yeah. And I, I think I know who it would be. Um, <laughs> just because there's a couple. Tropes, well, there, yes. there are two people that I think would stay <laughs> if, if it were a real story. One is there's a gentleman and they all. So everyone in the. Every single person represented in the musical is based on a real human being. Okay. Um, now, in some cases, they have had to amalgamate human beings. The cast is like 12 people, and they're okay. playing 16,000 people. Sure. So a every, lot of costume changes. Everybody plays multiple roles. Everybody. <laughs> even even the actress playing Beverly Bass in any production. So yes, Jen Colella, but all of them. Mm -hmm. They play Beverly. They also play a town's person or two and they play a plain person or two. Like they all, everybody, mm -hmm. no matter how big your normal, like your big part is, yeah. you are playing other people. Um, but definitely there's, so there's one gentleman who the real life counterpart on whom he seems to be based is a white guy. The actor mm. who plays him is black, oh, which no. <laughs> it lends a, actually a little bit of humor to me because <laughs> they, they, I think they sort of, they played to the fact that the, the person they'd cast was black in that he, so he's a plane passenger from somewhere in the States, uh, I think from the New York area. And mm -hmm he gets befriended by the mayor of an even smaller town near Gander who invites okay. him to, to stay at his house. And then they decide that they're going to have like a cookout for all the people. Mm -hmm. And so he tells him, the mayor tells him just uh, go into people's backyards and start and like round up some grills for us. Like just, he says, what do you mean round up? Go into people's backyards and just take their barbecues. And he's uh, like, I am going to get um, shot if me. I go into people's yards and take barbecues that doesn't sound he, cool he's like no no just it's fine go do it so he goes and does it and of course you know in the in the first house the guy's like hey you taking my barbecue he's like oh uh i'm sorry do you want to come in for a cup of tea <laughs> and this happens to him in every backyard he said every backyard he goes he gets the grill they're fine with it and they invite him in for tea this is and that newsletters are known for that like you Wild. will they don't need to know you are you visiting would you like some tea um <laughs> kettle's always on also, so presumably the people. whole island is just lousy with enormous black shaggy dogs. One hopes. One, hopes. <laughs> um, one of the buses gets stuck for a bit while they wait for a boost to move, which is a real thing that would absolutely happen. Yep. Um, <laughs> like, no joke. Probably did happen. Whether or not it did happen, it absolutely would. So I'm glad they wrote it in. <laughs> no dogs are mentioned. No Newfoundlander <laughs> dogs are mentioned. Uh, oh, they okay. do mention all of the animals that were on the planes because, of course, there were cats and dogs and, unfortunately, a couple of rare bonobo monkeys. Oh. So <laughs> there's a lot. I don't want to spoil too much because there's a lot to discover and love when you watch this. Yeah, it sounds like a like a complex and interesting show. <laughs> yeah, but I think that guy might have stayed because by the end of it, he's like, oh, I'm yeah, not yeah. worried about my wallet. 
I'm not worried about getting <laughs> shot. I'm a little worried about how much whiskey I'm drinking. <laughs> yeah. feel like he would stay. And then there's a couple, there is of course the obligatory, obligatory love story, mm-hmm. but it is based on an actual love story to people who were on the same plane from different places who met and during this time fell in love, got married. They're still married. Wow. They had their honeymoon in Newfoundland. They go back all the time. Well, um, yeah, I think if we were doing the fictional version, then you would have to have a love connection between a plain person and a uh, a local city person. Yes. Yeah. And that that's not in the show. It is. Yeah. It is plain people who fall in love. Um, <laughs> but in in real life, um, the plain people do come back and visit. They do. There was a yeah. big deal on the 10th anniversary and I, I didn't look it up. I imagine maybe they tried something for the 20th. But with the pandemic, you can't mm-hmm. have people traveling. From all over yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they did a big, big deal on on the tenth anniversary. I think that's when they got the the steel from mm-hmm. the World Trade Center. Um, yeah, and yeah, lots of them. Beverly Bass went back there for her retirement flight. That was her <laughs> retirement flight. Uh, and yeah, a lot of them still visit because they made lifelong friends in the five days they were there with other yeah. plane people and with locals. Yeah, that's intense. Yeah, it it was an intense time. but definitely worth seeing i will say the staging works better when you're in an actual theater sure yeah it's true of many stage shows like it just it's minimal uh sets so no big set pieces it's all chairs and tables and things that can easily be moved around yeah uh, which really is as it should be for a show that moves that fast and where people play that many different people yeah i wouldn't Um, expect like a big fuselage on stage no and i i would like to give a particular shout out to someone whose name (laughs) i do not know but crew member assistant stage manager whoever you are back there who is keeping track of the captain's jacket and the vest and which (laughs) one she wears when and when the vest doesn't doesn't have to be under the jacket (laughs) i take my hat off to you that is an intense job (laughs) Oh boy, no one else has costume pieces that are that noticeable and that important where it's that important that they be those people at that time. Yeah. And that it can never be wrong. She can never be Captain Bass without that jacket. But if she immediately then has to be Annette, then she'd better have that vest on because otherwise she's either a local or a plain person. We don't know. (laughs) So yeah, whoever you are backstage who's keeping track of uh, Ms. Colella's outfit, um, you're doing a spectacular job. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I noticed it in Toronto and I noticed it in the film. Like whoever's doing that, just top notch, just top notch. So what do you do? Well, I work in theater tech and my one job is. I keep track of the lady's vest and her jacket. Uh (laughs) I'm a vest tracker. Yeah, that's my job is to make sure that the vest and the jacket are sometimes together and sometimes not, and that she's always wearing the right one at the right time, because otherwise it gets very confusing. Probably a lot of practice swings at that. <laughs> I'm sure there were rehearsals where it was just like, does anyone know where the vest went? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I can't be Annette in this t-shirt. <laughs> Annette wears a vest. <laughs> otherwise, I'm not Annette. I'm a rando. Enjoy the literalism of stage that way. <laughs> nope. Vest equals this whole character. It absolutely. And there's like hat equals because the guy who plays mm-hmm. the mayor of Gander also plays the ma- the mayors of several other towns. So it's wow. like hat equals mayor of this place. No hat equals mayor of that place. Glasses. He's mayor of that place. <laughs> 
that's yeah that's wild um it is beautiful though speaking of of live shows Mm -hmm. i i have been to the movies (gasps) in this calendar year to the actual you went to a theater to the cinema as people other than i say uh not once not twice oh my but i have seen three movies this year oh my goodness wait all recently uh have you been to a movie theater three times recently or did you go one time and stay for three movies (laughs) (laughs) no i i have in the past done two movies in a day (laughs) uh, please update me on your movie watching um the first thing i saw which I kind of regret because I didn't expect it to be almost immediately available to purchase. And mm-hmm. I would have been fine paying $20 for this movie, which was the new Fast and Furious. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, because they, I mean, it's not a spoiler. It's basically in the trailer. They took a car to fucking space. And I wanted to see that on the big screen. They took a car to space. They took a car to space. Did they drive it to space or did they, uh, they like drove it. airlift it to space and then drop it off on the moon or something? I'm going to wait while you're drinking water. They drove it to space. They drove it in space. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I had to see it on the big fucking screen. Gotcha. Because <laughs> they took a car to space. Okay. And Fast and Furious, people like me who watch these movies a lot and enjoy them, have mm-hmm. been speculating as to how they were going to continue to one-up themselves. Mm-hmm. And they took a car to fucking space. Impressive. That's impressive. And I'm not going to say more about what happens with that because... Even though these movies are sort of dumb and silly, mm-hmm. like they can be spoiled and it's more fun to be surprised by moments that are meant to be surprising. So I'm not going to say yeah, more we, about we might the car in space. So we're see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else did you see then? Uh, I also saw Shang-Chi. Oh, I've heard good Marvel things movie. about that. It is really good. Um, and then the third movie that I saw was Free Guy. Oh, okay. The Ryan Reynolds is an NPC who gains sentience moving. Um but um, yeah, Shang-Chi, like the, again, I'm not going to talk too much about either of these because they're still new and people won't and have watched them. Both of those them. I think I will probably see. Although I yeah. just spoiled a lot of Come From Away for you. <laughs> that not as big a deal. <laughs> okay. You should see it though. You really should see it. Take take an hour and a half and watch it. I will put it on the list, but I'm, I'm not too invested in the Come From Away cinematic universe. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It, it will not, I, I don't think that we're having sequels. Mm-hmm. yeah hopefully not um but the the martial arts is fucking fantastic and mm-hmm. there's like magical elements that i'm not going to go into detail of that mm-hmm. are just sort of like fresh and interesting like mm-hmm. as you know we in north america and the west generally in big air quotes don't get a lot of east asian mythology and mysticism yes. in our entertainment and so it was nice to see something that was just sort of new and interesting and different and some of it is in the trailers um but there's a lot more and i think there's there's a tendency in like mainstream criticism to look at all of these like big superhero movies it's like yeah the third act is always like this muddled cgi that you don't really care and like Mm. i don't share that generally but in this case yes there is a lot of things that don't exist in real life so you have to use computers to represent it on screen sure yeah and so i think that there have been people who've sort of dismissively hand waved some of that away but i would Mm. say don't listen to those people they are wrong Mm. in general but most specifically in this case like the magical elements are a big part of it and i think knowing the way marvel works and the fact that this is the first movie of presumably 
a lot of appearances of Shang-Chi and some of these mm-hmm. other characters, you have to make allowances for the fact that, yeah, there's, this is probably going to be important. What these other, let's just say, non-human characters do and it's yeah. hard to get into specifics without getting into specifics. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I will say, uh, hashtag, hashtag ANSAC, mm-hmm. always nice to see a Canadian, uh-huh. um, uh, Simu Lee, who plays Shang-Chi, mm-hmm. is yeah. Canadian. Um, listeners might know him as the son on Kim's Convenience. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so just like super excited to see um, him doing so well, like for going from being yeah. pretty well unknown to, you know, Kim's Convenience, and then now he's a Marvel superhero. What? Mm-hmm. And he super is like just a nice Korean Canadian boy. (laughs) Good for him. He has really great charisma and he and Aquafina have great chemistry and like, Oh, she's fun. She's great. Really fun. But they have like, she's not just the like sort of sidekick, you know, Mm -hmm. um, comedic relief character oh, like we they need somebody here from moxie she has a bunch more to do good, good. and the two of them have a really interesting relationship where they are you know it's not just like she's in the fun scenes mm-hmm. and he's not fun in you know he's only fun in the scenes she's in like oh, just I the characters wasn't fun oh no 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 i'm saying <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about the the way that action movie sidekicks are often mm-hmm. written is yeah, when the sidekick yeah. is in the scene the lead is funny when the sidekick yeah. is not in the scene the lead is not funny mm-hmm. that's not the way this movie is built it's built gotcha. much better than that it is also just visually spectacular mm-hmm. um it's a tremendously well-made movie and i hope this team gets to make more i mean it's I think it's getting a lot of parallels to something like Black Panther because it's a, you know, person of color driven production mm-hmm. team and in front of the camera uh, cast is sort of looking for. But I, I think that the thing that these, and I'm going to use in, enormous sarcastic air quotes, these experiments in having non-white leads um, just sort of prove over and over again that like, if you're not thinking about it, you don't notice like mm-hmm. it just th- these are the people in this movie that I'm watching and yeah. it, it's a good movie and the story is compelling and the action is amazing and like well, generally speaking like you and I talk about this more off the pod but yeah. like you as a non-male person have to mm-hmm. identify with male characters all the time uh, yeah. I as a white person like mm-hmm. I don't have a problem identifying with non-white characters and most people don't. You just have to like stop marketing your movies as like, look, it's an Asian movie full of Asian people. Yeah, I think there's sort of a, there still seems to be something in like the upper management echelon of movie making. (laughs) Yeah, the studio heads. Yeah, that like, oh, oh, people, you know, more people will watch a man than will watch a woman. More people will Mm -hmm. watch white people than, it's like, I think that's, probably always been crap i think yeah i really think so too yeah i think a lot of it is that the people in well i think i think all of it is the people (laughs) in the power positions have been straight white dudes and they want to see themselves on screen and they think that that's normal they they societally they kind of get to be the default and so Uh and if it's so if it's not and if it's not about them it doesn't interest them that's the thing is yeah whereas the rest of us are like we want to see ourselves and also Mm -hmm. we've spent so much time identifying with you like it goes right back to what kids are given to read the the Uh old trope that like 
girls will read books about boys, but boys won't read books about girls. Well, boys yeah. would if you made them. The only like girls were made to from the time we're born. Most protagonists are men or boys. And so yeah. we we learn very quickly to empathize and, and identify with men. And the same is, I would imagine, true and compounded for, you know, Black people, Asian people, Middle Eastern people who are exposed to so much white culture. Like, yeah. If you're if you're a little girl who's black and most of the books you read are about white men, you're going to learn to empathize with those characters. And the sort of slap uh -huh. in the face of it all is that the white boys will never learn to empathize with you. Like they won't return the favor, but they could. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think as we see more people from different backgrounds getting more power, not enough power yet, but we're getting there. Not enough, not fast enough. But... No, but I think we are starting finally to see actual diversity on our screens and not just the kind of like oh well you know the white people have been told many times that they need to have more black people so we'll put black people in all the small parts or yeah. asian people in all the small parts or like yeah. all of the leads will be white and then we'll populate the world with other people no that's yeah. like that's not good enough that's again the not... sort of sidekick thing it's like that's often where your personal yeah goes. look how diverse our cast is hmm, i'm looking mm -hmm. at your leads and they all look the same to me yeah yeah and so it's it's just nice to think of you know neither of us have any kids but you know mm -hmm. our generation's kids generally yeah. they're growing up in you know an environment where there's shang chi and there's black panther and there's yes. a lot yeah. more on the way from marvel specifically but just the opportunity for even outside of superheroes which mm -hmm. there are things outside of superheroes <laughs> the opportunity to just like appreciate a story that is well made full stop mm -hmm. Well, and to just be able to see the humanity in another person who doesn't look like you, like that's yeah. not hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's really not hard, but you do have to actually do it. Yeah. And I do think so. that there's a parallel in sort of, you can only speak to what I've read about the States, although I'm pretty sure this is sort of a universal human thing, but mm -hmm. demographically speaking, people who live in urban areas tend to be less racist because they're exposed to lots of different kinds of people as a broad generalization mm -hmm. and also you know in the states and more rural areas that's where you find the people who don't get exposed to people who are different than them and so you tend to have i mean you see it in our politics all the time and i'm not going to take mm -hmm. a giant political rant but the hmm. people in this country who have trouble accepting progress mm -hmm. are rural often yeah yeah i mean i am i'm a little disturbed the more i realize how many are maybe not so rural or maybe mm -hmm. you know have had yeah have, we're talking have, as a gen a yeah general like too many a, a huge generalization of my generation have had tons and tons and tons of exposure to all kinds of people and have still decided to be white supremacists and i don't know what to do yeah. about those people oh absolutely um, but yes i think broadly speaking the more uh experiences you have the more diverse experiences you have the more types of people you're exposed to and interact with yeah the broader your view i'm very grateful that i went to public schools i'm yeah. very grateful to have been raised in cities mm -hmm. uh, i'm very grateful for the waves of immigration that happened when i was young as i was hitting school so that i had the opportunity to be in like middle school and high school with because if I look at my elementary school and it was mostly white, like we had a few black kids, but it was very white. Yeah. Um, I don't really remember any Asian kids to speak of. I don't remember, you know, but by the time I got to like junior high and high school, we had everybody. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm grateful for that because it meant that I made friends who were from different cultures or who, whose parents were from different cultures. I also went to high school in a different neighborhood than my elementary school. Sure, yeah. Neither of these was the neighborhood in which I lived, such as being a French <laughs> immersion kid. They just ship you to whatever school has that program. Um, but So my Sorry, high school was bigger and had a bunch of feeder schools. And so we all yeah. came together in that high school. But uh, I, I think it was good for me. I think being raised in the city, being not a huge city, but a medium-sized city, going to public school with everybody, going to a massive university that had even more of everybody, being in workplaces that had everybody. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think it's given yeah. me a bunch of opportunity to, to get to know people different from me. And that's, I mean, if everyone's the same, it's just very boring. It sure can be. Yeah. And I think yeah. my elementary school experience was a little bit more diverse because in the mm -hmm. Bay Area, we have had like more recent and complex waves of immigration you're also slightly um, younger and at that age that five years makes a difference yeah that's fair yeah um but i think that my elementary school might have been and i'm not crazy about this term but like majority minority like less mm -hmm. than 50 percent was the um was the, white people yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the you dominant can just group. Say white people. <laughs> no, I was trying to think of a term. I wasn't trying to think of that. I was thinking, oh, okay. <laughs> trying to think of the dominant group is the word that I was thinking. I see. Of. I see. Um, I see. And so we had a lot of South Asian, East Asian, mm -hmm. African, you know, people who were first gen from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I just, without really realizing it, like that kid's nice to me, that kid's a dick to me. Like the, the demographics didn't really factor into it as much. You know, you play with the kids yeah. who want to play with you. You play sports with the kids who want to play the same sports as you. It just was, it was really just more sort of human to human. Well, I don't think it registers in kids. Like I think- It really doesn't. You like have to be taught that stuff. Exactly. Like racism is not innate. It just isn't. Um, someone has to tell you so but yeah. I what what's interesting is see that those are actually the exact same years like the years when you would have been in elementary school at that level I was a junior high and that's yeah. what I mean by that five years makes a difference like, yeah we're no talking I, about I the same it, yeah. time period but yeah, yeah I'm I'm glad that happened when it did in terms of my life trajectory like I'm glad that I was young that mm -hmm. I wasn't raised not that I think I would have turned out like a horrible racist if I had been of course but <laughs> um you know I think it's nice to be raised in a pool of people who don't all look and act and think yeah. like you, you know, I got to learn about things like Ramadan from my friends rather than it just being an academic exercise. Yeah. That yeah, kind of thing. A real I knew thing that happened in the real world. Observed Ramadan. I knew mm -hmm. Jewish kids. I knew Hindu kids. I knew Muslim kids. I, yeah. You know, and it, and they were my classmates and my friends and, and, you know, the people I ate lunch with, and that makes a huge difference to your view of the world is just that sort of day-to-day -day exposure to, oh, so my way is one way, but my way uh -huh. isn't the only way. And it's not yeah. necessarily right or wrong. Like different isn't wrong. Different isn't bad are lessons that you sort of get passively taught in an environment like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if, uh, so now that we've was, solved racism i know I was, trying, I was trying to throw back to talking about the movie but um yeah. yeah it's it's great it's a lot of fun if you can safely go to the theater i guess that's the other thing i should add is every time mm. i went to the movies was in the middle of the day yeah. i was there with you know four of my closest friends in an auditorium that seats 300 mm -hmm. <laughs> so like just not, you guys <laughs> not pardon me not literally my closest friends that's no but i, I mean like just four people just like randomly like four or five people scattered about mm -hmm. the theater um 
I think the busiest one happened to be Free Guy, and that was maybe 10 people. Um, But yeah, the movie theaters here have the sort of general mandate of you have to wear your mask when you're moving around, but when you're sitting, if there's nobody within a six foot radius and the movie theater recently got upgraded. So it's got the like superlative lounger seats and their rows are six feet apart or more than six feet apart. So there's nobody right behind you or right in front of you. Okay, good. Like that's what I've heard from the couple of people I know who've gone to the movies Mm -hmm. is that they are six feet apart to the side, but then there'll be someone in the row right ahead of them or right yeah. behind them. And I think, hmm. so I, I am not going yet because I am waiting for our full vaccine passport rules to kick in. Yeah. Which I think happens like October 7th or something. Yeah. And when I wouldn't have, have gone. People have to have both shots. And yeah. then when, when I know that everyone in the theater has both their shots and is masked <laughs> yeah, and is distanced, then I will consider going to a movie again. I also should add that I would not have gone without two other factors. One is these particular movies. I just did not want to miss out on the sort of, I mean, not so much free guy, but Fast and Furious and the Marvel movies. Like, I just like to stay abreast of those. Um, But also I had a bunch of like gift certificates to the movie theater chain near me. So I did not pay for these movies. Right. Were those about to expire by any chance? You're like, oh, no, they don't expire. Oh, that's good. Yeah. They shouldn't. If someone's paid for them, they shouldn't expire. Yeah. There's, there's different categories of things here, but in California, certain gift certificates, like they can't expire. It's illegal. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. That's a good rule. But yeah, that those were those were contributing factors is that I, I know that it's dead here. The movie theaters are just like, mm-hmm. I don't know how they're staying open. Um, I'm not but sure. also like going on in the middle of the day is not you know seven o'clock on a friday like, right you know, yeah date night movies or whatever yeah. <laughs> that's always been my preference anyway um a few years ago i think before we even knew each other i worked swing shift at mm-hmm. a job so yeah. i start at three in the afternoon and work till midnight mm-hmm. and so i would go to the movies at like 11 a.m pretty frequently and that that's is a great nice. time to go that's a yeah. great time to go start yeah. your day go to the movies then go to work <laughs> I do. I prefer a matinee. I like to go when there's no one else there. Yeah. Plus then you go outside and it's still light out and you're like, Oh, I've already accomplished something with my day. (laughs) I've never thought of it as an accomplishment, but I admire that. (laughs) No, it it backfired on me one time though. When Mm. I went, I went to see a movie that I would have preferred not to stay for the whole thing. Oh, okay. I I won't name this movie. It just was long and slow and quiet in a way that didn't match the trailer at all. Interesting. And I, it just wasn't the movie that I thought I was seeing. Uh-huh. It was fine, but it was just like, how is this movie still happening? Why is not much happening? Uh, also, it was quiet and there was a person, this is pre-pandemic, years pre-pandemic, uh, but there was someone who kept alternately coughing and unwrapping candy the whole time. So okay. it, it, it was just drops. never, maybe. But it was just never drowned out because the movie was so quiet. Like the movie had no soundtrack, Mm -hmm. no. But I couldn't get out. I because I would have just quietly left because it's like you know that was I'm (laughs) I'm burning that eleven dollars because I want my life back. Um, But I was so it was it may have been a morning matinee. It was certainly early afternoon at the latest, and it was me and a bunch of very old people in this theater. And I was on either side of me, like not right beside me, but blocking my access to either aisle (laughs) were various people with various um, mobility aids. Uh, That's what I was just imagining was your walkers and other assistive devices. I can't ask them to get up. (laughs) 
I mean, not and still be a nice lady. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not, I'm certainly not going to climb over them. I can't ask an old lady with two canes to stand up so I can leave because I don't want to watch this movie anymore. Yeah, that's the benefit so of the I like lounger stay. thing is there's so much extra runway between the rows. Yes. Yeah. Whereas this way, it just, there were just people on either side of the row with and mobility just aids. Screwed. I, just, I just, I live here now. I have to watch this entire movie. <laughs> this is movie. my life now. This is it until this movie ends. <laughs> Unless one of them gets up voluntarily which neither did um, because oh, I'm man. sure when like walking is hard, you learn things like pee uh-huh. first, don't try to, you know, mm-hmm. go in the middle. It'll take forever. So yeah, yeah I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get out of there. It's just like, well, I am watching this movie. <laughs> I will say that I had a backfire on a, um, a midday movie. It was, I can't remember exactly which one, but I think it was one of the star Wars movies from the past five years. Cause the mm-hmm. movie theater that I frequent is right across from the big um, Google campus. Oh yeah. And so surprise, surprise, there are some nerds who work there and they also had the idea of seeing a star Wars movie in the middle of the day. I think you on a Friday. <laughs> and so I think this was like the year before they redid the theater. Cause the other thing that happened is they upgraded the ticketing system to like you reserve your seat. And oh, before yes. that it was first come first serve. Yeah. And so I got a little hosed on the first come first serve because I showed mm-hmm. up like 10 minutes before showtime because fuck it, it's the middle of the day. This is my normal Who's going to be here? Oh, everyone. Oh, oh everyone <laughs> dressed the same in a lanyard and a tricolor bicycle. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. But real quick, I'll say free guy. Also really fun. Ryan mm-hmm. Reynolds, a, never not a delight. Another, always, always. another one of your people. Antsack. Always <laughs> nice to see a Canadian uh joni comer wonderful taika waititi has an amazing supporting role cool possibly the most fun i've watched him be which is not a sentence that works how did that happen from my understood you yeah that actually that movie i would very much like to see i think i will see shang chi as well yes i i think you would enjoy both of these movies um free guy I thought I knew what it was going to be, and it was not. It passed what I was expecting by the end of the first act. So if you think you're going to see a movie uh, that is just like an NPC becomes a real boy, like that happens fast. I don't think I even had registered that that was part of it. I just knew that it was Ryan Reynolds being delightful, and Mm -hmm. that was enough. Yeah, oh, of course. I'm in for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Brian Reynolds and Mariah Carey is pretty much all they give you in the trailer. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> I mean, that's a must-see right there. I gotta go see that. Also, I, know, I love that your two movies starred my two nice Canadian boys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that wasn't the mechanism I uh, used to choose things. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see a Ryan Gosling movie later. Wait a minute. <laughs> hmm that's not a thing it's just the next no. canadian in that age group i could think of i mean there are ryan gosling movies and i have seen a couple <laughs> uh drive is one of my all-time favorites i should i should mm-hmm. ask slash make you watch that so we can talk all the fucking about it i saw i think the last thing i saw that like starred him was probably the place beyond the pines i never actually watched that you don't need to was that the one that you couldn't walk out of no. <laughs> No, that should I say it? I mean, this person will never hear this. They. I mean, know. I'm gonna ask you as soon as the mics cool down if you don't okay. say it, it on me. It was no. I mean, he's never. He's never. There's no way he's gonna listen to this ever. Ever. George Clooney is. Wait, seriously. Seriously. How did I do that? It was the American with oh, George Clooney. Yep, yeah, that is a a 
slow, quiet movie. I the agree. The trailer made it look like it would be exciting. Uh-huh. There were motorcycles and things. And then I mm-hmm. got to the movie and it was. And they put all the action in the trailer. Yeah. And there was so little of it. Like that 30 second trailer was literally everything that happened in the movie. And it just, I, it was My, so yeah. bored. I'm sorry, George Clooney. I've loved you since Facts of Life, but I was so <laughs> bored. I've only watched it once, but my recollection is it's basically Michael Clayton, but he's a hitman instead of a lawyer. Something like like it's just sort of, it is a, a pondering movie. Yeah, it is, it, it is a for thinking and reflecting it and it's an emotional pondering. journey without enough of the sort of frou-frou-rah. Well, and it wasn't like, I can do an emotional journey, but it was a strap in for that. emotional like, journey. Come on, like, I gotta know. Yeah. Things need to, i yeah. I mean, I want us, I want us to move on to the thing that we were both going to talk about, Yeah, but I will very, very quickly say, I just watched Coda on Apple uh-huh. TV. Yeah. Now that is several emotional journeys <laughs> and there were no motorcycle chases, but it kept me very engaged. It better win some Oscars. Um, well, maybe we'll cover that another time, but if you haven't watched yeah. Coda yet, please watch Coda. C-O-D-A, Coda. Uh, speaking of people who love motorcycle chases. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know Jake, where you're going. Jake Peralta, Jake Peralta. And, and his uh gang of misfits at their Squad. final <laughs> nine, nine. I was trying to be more poetical. Uh the, the Brooklyn finale has happened. It has. And we had lots of uh lots of old friends returning. Um yes. I my... was surprised at one old friend that we did not see, but to be fair, we saw him a lot the week before. Jackson, you mean? Yeah, there was no Kevin. Yeah, I that, mean, listen, the week before was all Kevin all the time, and well, I loved it, was it. Big Kevin season, honestly. Big, big like, Kevin. Yeah, but for him not to appear at all in the finale. Yeah, I think they probably wanted to, to make space for... I mean, even Cheddar got a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, as my one note, I am still a little bit disappointed in the show for... I mean, like, okay, it's a network comedy. It's never mm-hmm. going to be all that I want it to be. And I think they did their best to tackle real life police issues yeah. in this season. And the show the has always, to the extent they could, I think the show in has the always pushed the boundary as a network comedy. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it in its own dedicated episode that you can go back and listen to if you have yep. not. Um, it's probably two years ago now. <laughs> Something like that. You'll find it. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I still, my my fantasy of that show sort of transitioning the entire cast out of the NYPD into something else where they could still be a work family was, you know, not to be. Um, yeah. Mark Bernardin and other people on Twitter said, like, what if they just started this season and they were all in a firehouse and there was no explanation? Yeah. Or they were suddenly a post office. Or <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I thought would be great. But I'm sure that Mark Bernardin, as a TV writer himself, knew that that was never going to happen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that was... <laughs> That was very much in the context of that commentary. Um, And I guess we should have said spoilers. So if you haven't watched the end of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, sorry, slash, here we go. Buckle up. Yes. Yeah. Stop now. Yeah. Um, Because they do take pretty much, I don't know, more than half the cast out of the Nine-Nine, if not the NYPD. Yeah. I mean, by the time we get there, we've we've already lost a few, right? Like Mm -hmm. we lost um, Gina a while ago. Oh, yeah. So it was nice to see her back. Absolutely, with her sweatshirts. Yes. <laughs> You'll understand the way Chris said that yeah. when you see the episode. I'm not going to ruin it for you. Yet um, another surprise reveal. That's right. So many surprise reveals. Um, so, you know, we had lost her already, and uh, we had lost Rosa from the NYPD, but not from the cast. 
yeah in like the first episode of the season i think uh well it had already happened yeah we're told in the first yeah it happened it happened in the gap between those two seasons yeah um and yeah then through the course of this episode we lose um well the biggest surprise is parole to himself yeah that was satisfying to me i really appreciated that yeah um and then amy and holt are you know moving up and hopefully trying to change the culture which yeah i think they're the sort of change it from within folks absolutely yeah which you know terry being their new captain is also like change from within guys yeah like we're we're leaving some of our team who are good people there and they're going to try to change it from within and then we have you know rosa and peralta kind of just jumping ship (laughs) yeah at that point although i can imagine my head canon is that once mac is sort of grown enough to like go into school and stuff that jake starts like working cases on the side with rosa oh i wouldn't be surprised yeah Yeah, that's my head canon (laughs) i could see uh more of them eventually joining in fact that's kind of what i had hoped they would do at the end of the The finale was that they would join Mm -hmm. rosa's pi firm yeah uh but it was not to be yet yet yeah, but uh, yeah, I thought I thought they tied it up as well as they could. I think it was probably un- unrealistic to expect that they would turn a cop show into a complete non-cop show. But yeah, I also think they did the very best they could in fairly limited time this season because oh yes, they didn't nine, have ten episodes, episodes. I guess yeah, so I think it was yeah ten yeah. to sort of try to to pull back from any kind of copaganda and try to expose. Mm-hmm in a comedic way because at the end of the day they are a network comedy like you said yeah like some of some of the problems in policing and how various people deal with it yeah and um yeah i think brooklyn 99 and bosch are the two remaining like legacy cop shows that i have Mm -hmm. in my rotation (laughs) and so i'm sort of glad to now not have um aside from things that i might go back and rewatch, and mm-hmm. you know that i am already sort of yeah. watching with a grain of salt but to not have like an active propaganda roster yeah my I, actually i don't think i have any left now um yeah. the one that the other one that just ended for me i think it ended in britain a few months ago was line of duty mm. oh yeah um but one thing i like about line of duty um is that it? It's a little less propaganda, even though it yeah. definitely centers on the police force, because it is. It centers on the police force's anti-corruption unit. Like their, their job is to get rid of crooked cops. Yeah. <laughs> or as Adrian it's Dunbar likes very... to put it, bent coppers. Mm-hmm. He's all about catching those bent coppers. Those bent coppers. Yeah. Um, so that that sort of. I mean, it's still it's still a cop show you know yeah. at the end of the day it's still a cop show but I it's do still think... institutionalist even if it's the internal affairs department <laughs> yeah although they definitely from day one they're dealing with the fact that corruption goes right up to the top and even past the police force and right up to civilian you know, authority and politics yes. and all that bullshit yeah yeah so at least they make no bones about like the police are good by nature uh, <laughs> and then they are poisoned by these damn politicians yeah i don't think there's any like <laughs> It's hard if, if you're watching Line of Duty, it's hard. It starts out with like, well, maybe there's one bad apple. Maybe there's five bad apples. Oh God, maybe it's pretty much all bad apples. Maybe, maybe apples are bad. Maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that has had its um, to date final season. It's harder to tell 
in Britain because oh, yeah. sometimes there will be two years, but no, the no new season weird. has been ordered. As far as everyone mm. knows, this is it. Yeah. But it also, to my knowledge, has not been officially canceled. No, mm-hmm. no one has said we will not make more. Uh-huh. And all of the cast and uh, the sort of head guy, writer guy behind it. I don't think, I don't know if they call it showrunner there, but you know, I think the creator, they call it head writer guy. Yeah. The creator, <laughs> head writer, probably, but maybe not necessarily the showrunner. Uh, they've all kind yeah. of said like, oh yeah, we would like, we're open. We'll, we, we would make more. Like we're yeah. not, none of us are like, well, we've had enough of this. It's just, yeah, <laughs> this is where, this is where the BBC yeah. has stopped ordering new episodes for now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's 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 dive a little bit more into the Brooklyn finale. There was a heist. There was a heist. There was a heist. There was a whole big heist. It was the the heist to end all heists. It, it was, was an hour a, long heist. A Russian nesting doll of heists. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody trying to plan the perfect goodbye. No one yeah. succeeding. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Turns out the perfect goodbye was the friends we made along the way. I guess. <laughs> how do we how do we bend that trope back over <laughs> on itself? Listen, I was I was thrilled that Cheddar was part of the heist. Of course. And uh, another bonus dog whose name I don't remember. Oh yeah, bonus dog. Cheddar Amy's, had a friend. Amy's Amy adopted a dog and trained dog. it for this specific purpose. Never and then to what be happened seen again. to it? Unclear. Unclear. <laughs> I hope it went back to doggy daycare and some nice person adopted it presumably what was his name bacon maybe was it bacon that doesn't sound right but it doesn't sound too far off either i don't know yeah you talk you vamp i'm gonna see if it's if that dog okay uh well i think that amy was responsible for my favorite moment of the episode which was when jake wakes up in the hospital oh yes and five years have passed seven years whatever have passed (laughs) and she's wearing like highlight extensions that Uh she removes afterwards but she's oh and she's married to Kyle, I can never remember how to pronounce his last name uh, or the character's name in this moment. Vamping, uh, I am not I'm getting there. The I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Kyle Bornheimer, something yes, like that. Yes, as Teddy Wells. Teddy Wells. Um, but then she like snaps the walls down, and you not being, I don't think, as big a Mission Impossible fan, like that was a real thrill to me, no, almost as much it. as to Jake. Yeah. And that moment of like just the reveal and his absolute glee, and like I hate how attracted I am to you right now, or whatever that line of his is. We had a couple of Mission Impossible moments though, because we also had. Uh-huh. The- the fake chief who then they thought wasn't the fake chief yeah that was solid the walls came down and he ripped his wig off which is very much like the masks coming off in mission impossible yeah that's the one this was a wig Uh uh-huh yeah that actor was fun (laughs) uh i regret to inform you that no dog seems to have been credited well (laughs) how will we ever know who played cheddar Guess we'll ask Mark. Cheddar's been played, I believe, by many dogs. Multiple over the years. dogs. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that's the same dog. I wouldn't um, expect so, just because, yeah. Well, the thing that I have learned about corgis is uh, so if, for anyone listening who doesn't know and for some reason is still listening to this, uh, <laughs> Cheddar is the name of Captain Holtz and, and his he- husband, Kevin Cosner's corgi dog. If you don't <laughs> know what a corgi is for some reason, you know those dogs you always see Queen Elizabeth with? It's that. Mm. Um, a thing I've learned about corgis though is their coloring can change quite a lot over the course of their lives. Oh, really? So, for instance, the cheddar from the pilot, or not the pilot, but from season one, has quite a bit of dark in his fur. Mm-hmm. And then when we see cheddar again, like a year later, he's all orange. Oh, interesting. Now, that may or may not be the same dog. I would have told you that's a different dog. But I also uh I like to follow 
uh, Sir Digby of Bologna Shire. Excuse me. <laughs> the Instagram. This is a corgi dog that belongs to um, Liesel, the photographer, Liesel. Oh, this name seems I'm afraid to me. of saying her last name wrong. Okay. Estepona? Could not help you. Liesel. I'm very e. sorry, Liesel. I'm sure you don't listen to this. Um, she's lovely, though. Met her very briefly in San Francisco <laughs> last time I was there. Uh-huh. Um, took my photo. Very exciting. Score. Um, it, well, I'm in the photo. It's not of me. But, <laughs> but I am in it. <laughs> uh, anyway, so she has she has a dog, Sir Digby the Corgi, mm-hmm. also known as Bolins, because he's Sir Digby of Bologna Shire. Uh, and I have followed her on Insta long enough that when like I remember when she got him as a puppy <laughs> and he had quite a lot of dark fur like he was a completely different you look at him now and he's all orange and white cool but and that happened probably within a year or so of her getting <laughs> him so their puppy fur is different than their grown-up dog fur and you can if I mean I suppose you could go and look back at her Instagram which maybe you're doing right now I see you typing nope, something I was in. looking at okay. something unrelated um <laughs> uh, but this corgi definitely, like all of his dark fur went away over oh, the wow. first year or two of his life. And now he's just or, an orange and white corgi. So it's possible that Cheddar has actually consistently been played by the same dog. Yeah. But I don't know. We would have to, um, we'd have to do some further research into that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this is a Googleable question. I'm going to try. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you about a corgi related dog. Uh, okay. which is the Swedish Valhund, and they look like a mix between a wolf and a corgi. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll send you a picture in a minute. They are the awesomest looking, weird, fuzzy little dog, if you do not know what this is. Okay. <laughs> but I, I encourage everyone to Google if we forget to um, put a picture or something in the notes. I'm looking, I'm looking. But they're, they're tiny and hilarious. Right. It's like a it's like a wolf corgi. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's yeah. like <laughs> it it has tiny little legs, but it has the gray coloring and like a very so wolf-like head. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. it sure yep. does. The Valhund. Yeah. They're they're great. Oh, well now, uh I can tell you this is unfortunate. <laughs> Oh no, the dog who played Cor- who played Cheddar is has died. Mm-hmm. Now that Cheddar died two years ago, his name was Stuart. The, um, he the was survived British by spelling his, or the Scottish spelling? S T E W A R. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now apparently he has a sister Stella. So now I'm trying to find out if because that was in 2019. So now I'm trying to find out if Stella carried on. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is this is absolutely enrapturing content what great podcast <laughs> listen right? like listen just... to people google dog facts <laughs> all right here we go cheddar has been played by a few different dogs since his first appearance on the show in season one there we Stuart go. embodied the role the longest mm. um but so i guess See, i we guess somebody had... <laughs> had to take over we should have we should have asked uh renee and alexis from can i pet your dog to like give us a special report oh i bet she knows special guests i bet she knows oh boy yeah there's an awful lot of awful lot of this headline about 
about Cheddar the dog having passed. How I missed this at the time. <laughs> well, maybe you didn't, and you just blocked it out afterwards. Uh, I'm sure I didn't know, but you know, it's. It and obviously, we couldn't tell. <laughs> This, this is reminding me now also of um, on the Craigslist podcast, Carla used to have her sort of running sad tragedy joke <laughs> of like seeing animals in old movies. I'm like, oh, no, yes, that dog realizing. is still alive. I think nope. that dog is dead. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, but it would have been reasonable to think that the cheddar would still be alive because. Yeah, Corky's I mean, a decent lifespan and that show's only been on for 10 years, less than 10 years. Uh, they just had their eighth season. Yeah, but there were breaks because they switch networks and yes the yeah pandemic, uh, yeah like, i don't yeah. think the eight seasons actually went on eight calendar years the uh, way they ordinarily would i don't know let's find out but um <laughs> anyway there were a few different cheddars mm -hmm. maybe someday we'll get scoop on which was the best and which was the worst 2013 to 2021 so in fact it was eight calendar years okay um according there to we go. imdb but well, sad, sad news about Cheddar. Anyway. <laughs> but clearly, Cheddar was recast. <laughs> yes. And lives on. Cheddar was a fictional character all along. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but I, he did live to be 13, though. All of these articles say that. Yeah, that that's great. Stuart, the dog who played Cheddar the longest, did live to be 13. So it's not bad. Not bad yeah. for a dog. Uh, I'm sure he will live on to one day win the Halloween heist himself. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, he does contribute regularly. And in, in like creative ways. I was impressed mm -hmm. by that. <laughs> <laughs> Good boy, Cheddar. <laughs> um, the other the other fun um, cameo, I guess, was that mm -hmm. Dan Gore was in the episode and they had like a big like chunk of dialogue where they were saying how great he was. Did I miss him? uh janitor dan oh the janitor yes yeah. of course of course of course yes that's okay. why they had those that like weird back and forth of dialogue like how great he is yes like that was that was like really heartwarming <laughs> i didn't I, I admit i didn't recognize him at the time but that is hilarious now i i sort of half recognized him but the context of the way they were talking about him mm -hmm. sort of like made me i'm pretty sure that's who that is that, that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah <laughs> and also knowing how the like the i don't know television generations of like mm -hmm. back to mike shore back to greg dane like they're they're always putting the writers on screen yes so. they love to do that um also also fun to have the return of Boyle's lookalike bill uh-huh that guy mm -hmm. has not had a good life no it's uh it's not going great for bill. no no it's it's super not <laughs> although i think my my favorite non-main cast member is always going to be adrian pimento oh yes if for no other reason than the mike sure caliber name of adrian pimento adrian pimento and pimento. nobody nobody plays a straight-up psychopath who you can't help but love better than jason goddamn mazukas he was maximum pimento <laughs> maximum zooks yes oh my god very enjoyable and of course we did uh kind of sort of see madeline wunch <laughs> we saw as much as her as much of her as anyone needs to <laughs> yep uh i enjoyed the balloon situation the balloon arch on. yes mm -hmm. at her grave <laughs> did he say he put that up every day every month i think every month okay <laughs> it was every week or every month like it was 
It not was, every day, but it was like once a month. Even every month is a lot. He replenishes it. He makes sure that it's. He celebrates her passing. Always very festive at her grave. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not in a nice way? Uh, no, I, I don't think there's a nice way to celebrate someone's death. Well, I mean, this is this is a morbid rhetorical question, but I've always been sort of curious about like in movies and stuff when people put mementos like on a gravestone, mm -hmm. like the, the classical one that pops into my head is like a soldier putting like his war medal on a mm -hmm. headstone. Like what what happens to if that is a thing that real people do, what happens to all of that stuff? I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I would imagine that the staff at the cemetery have to pick it up and maybe catalog it in case anyone ever wants it. Right? Like, um, I, you yeah. know, you kind of get that flowers, like, okay, yeah, they die and they have to be, you know, the groundskeeper deals with those ones. But that get I get, crispy. like fla flowers, I understand. They're but organic. actual mementos, you yeah. know, like maybe this just isn't that common, but I, you perhaps, see it on television a perhaps lot, seeing though. the trope of somebody placing a photograph or a meaningful object, maybe that really just is a thing that's only television. I don't know. I'm not a person maybe. who goes to yeah, gravestones. That, that never makes sense to me either, because I think like, well, yeah, I mean, the dead person isn't going to like play with it or whatever. And um, it just is a thing we've decided is cinematic. Maybe. Yeah, because like they can't do anything with it. And I would think that weather and it, you're not yeah. burying it with them. It's not in the grave. So then, yeah, does somebody yeah. have to pick that up? Is it part of groundskeeping? Do they have to pick that up and yeah, and like put it in a little locker tagged with, you know, we found this on headstone number, whatever, which is so-and-so. this date, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've not done a whole lot of grave visiting in my life. The small amount that I have yeah. done, the only thing I've ever brought is flowers um, because flowers die sort of classic choice as well. Well, classic choice, but also yeah. like it's not a it's not a ton of work for the grounds crew. You know, yeah. I would assume like they they pick up what's left of it after the flowers die. Not the but, same as if you brought a succulent or something that, it's a well, little hardier. Like no one has to take care of it. And if leaves or petals yeah. or whatever fall off and blow around, who cares? It's outside. That's organic yeah. matter. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it wouldn't, it would never occur to me to come and leave any other object. Yeah. It just, mm -hmm. maybe that's a, just a bizarre trope that needs to stop or, uh, or be modified. Write in and tell us, do people leave objects at graves or is this a tv thing i think it might be a tv thing i mean i guess i guess the way you could modify the trope is to just have the person who's leaving whatever the thing is like mm -hmm. just like in in the very top of the topsoil just sort of like dig a little and bury it there with the person like that would make more sense to me because then but it then... is then the object is resting there with your departed yeah. loved one or whomever like mm -hmm. but the idea of i think that the way it's always framed is you're leaving it like on top of a raised headstone that's usually what it looks like yeah and because on the little ledge because sometimes there's a like, yeah a ledge oh yeah at the bottom but the, they leave it there um but yeah it it always seems weird to me when it's something that isn't flowers because that's flowers something I, I bump get. on yeah yeah and uh i mean there are people who have who maintain you know plantings and things around headstones but you have to look after that and if you're not going to look after that you have to pay someone to look after that like that's yeah. not the cemetery's job yeah um but yeah the the leaving of other objects has always seemed a little odd to me because i don't that person isn't receiving it and but then I think maybe that, that goes into my own personal beliefs about death which yeah i mean are basically that like when you're dead you're dead 
<laughs> so. But it's but there's still it's not even within the like majority religious traditions in the countries we live in like mm -hmm. we're not talking about egyptian pharaohs where you're taking objects to the afterlife and they're being buried with you like right, this trope being buried this, with you. yeah but yeah. this trope covers like oh this person died 10 years ago and i'm mm -hmm. now bringing my purple heart to place on the grave of my commanding officer like it, yeah. it seems to just be a thing that like makes sense to write <laughs> yeah, like i, I want this like scene a, in my movie it's going to be raining it's going to be this symbolism like, closure thing yeah in fiction yeah the i the i time, don't i understand putting it in the casket i understand that yeah. but i don't understand leaving it on top of a headstone later yeah yeah i don't know like uh, like you said it's probably just cinematic it's probably just something people write it's probably not something that happens a lot yeah i hope otherwise there's a lot of random stuff out there in well, and again, to be the the historian person, like grave robbing is a time honored, disgusting human custom. <laughs> like, yes, and then see as, as the sort of like practical person, I'm like, well, someone has to clean that up. <laughs> uh huh. Or pawn it. <laughs> and it's not gonna be me. <laughs> yeah. Pick up after yourself. <sighs> so we've we've now, uh, unfortunately, Brooklyn Nine Nine has a gravestone of its own. <laughs> That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm 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 glad that we had a chance to like enjoy this show yeah. for ourselves. And I, I think there there are probably people who were not from the very beginning just because mm -hmm. it's a you know police officers are the protagonists. Um, but I think that amongst the sort of Mike Shore universe shows that we talk about, this will be the one that I probably don't revisit. As oh, opposed to the good place or any of the other ones, huh. I don't know. I'm just um, I I am more and more just like, why why do we even need the police? Like this is I don't I don't I think that might be too distracting. Mm. Maybe if things really do change in real life, it will not have the same effect on me in ten or twenty years. But unlike The Office or Parks or The Good Place or whatever comes next for Mike Shore and people mm -hmm. he has worked with in the sort of Shore diaspora of show business. Uh, those are shows I think I will continue to have in my repertoire. <laughs> and like anytime I'm just channel surfing somewhere and there's an episode of The Office, I will watch it. I don't know that I wouldn't revisit Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. Um, because I've already seen it. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it absolutely. exists. Um, I do think it it helps that it's a comedy yeah absolutely um, i love those characters and i do too and a I lot feel of it and then i think loss about it was something that we haven't talked about well yeah. I, I don't necessarily see the point of throwing away something i enjoy mm -hmm. um after the fact like yeah my views on the police have changed oh sure yeah started yeah but to then say i'm not gonna watch this thing well, I don't mean it as a protest vote. I just mean I, I will not be able to enjoy it as much. Oh, okay. Because I also think, you know, there's something we haven't talked about is, you know, the LGBTQ representation on that show that was groundbreaking oh, in and of itself. Like the, the show has a lot outside mm -hmm. of being a police uh, show yeah. to recommend it. We talked about that a bit in our dedicated episode. Yeah, but, but I mean, that was like, earlier we haven't, in the we show. haven't touched yeah. on it at this point, but you know, the mm -hmm. last two episodes before the final, the penultimate two episodes focus <laughs> very much on Holt and Kevin. Yeah. And there, oh, yeah. and in fact, the whole season talked about their relationship mm -hmm. um, that, you know, wasn't, wasn't doing so well at the beginning of the 
season and that by the end of the season we got that bow renewal that we've all been begging for for years <laughs> um although it was not the drawn out splashy ceremony we had all hoped to have <laughs> because of course it's brooklyn 99 and things get in the way of course um but i think that that i mean my my only minor argument with it is that both the actors are straight yeah um which again i think eight years ago even that was slightly more okay casting wise than it would be now like i don't think you would do it now as yeah. much as i love uh mark in particular i've never mm -hmm. met andre but uh, <laughs> he seems like a good guy from everything i've seen and heard agreed um and you know this is not this is not a slam on on either of them um but i i would be disappointed today if they were casting that and they cast two straight actors when yeah. they could easily cast two actually gay actors that mm -hmm. said those two dudes giving those performances has been lovely to watch i yeah. um i appreciate how they've both really committed to it yeah um that they play the reality of that relationship and of being attracted to and in love with each other in a way that straight actors don't always manage to do yeah so uh i, and I, I appreciate I, that i Go do ahead. think above and beyond that or not above and beyond that's not the right um even um turn of phrase mm -hmm. in addition to what you're saying i think the captain holt character is just a really tremendous character in like the history of tv like oh, there's yeah, a really special moment at the end of the episode when they're back in the squad room and he, they're sort of there's like a certain unspoken thing of the father and son relationship that Holt and Peralta have <laughs> and then to finally like really just hit it on the head in a really satisfying way like yeah I, I cried yeah. like that was that was real and it was intense mm -hmm. and the performance in that scene like it was yeah. heavy yeah it was, it, was. it was lovely it was great yeah. so I I that's I guess all of that is part of why I feel like I will probably revisit that show mm -hmm. um and I think I also Oh, I don't sorry, think it please. will be too distracting to me. Yeah. I mean, I know going in what it is and I'm, I'm able with most things, not with, I can't watch Woody Allen <laughs> movies at all anymore. Oh yeah, um, totally. But with most things, I'm able to sort of separate the problematic aspects from what's good about it. Yeah. Because if we couldn't, we would have to throw out everything that's ever been made. I know. And that's, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like everybody sort of compartmentalizes to their own comfort level. But yes. I think that also you and I have just different personal histories with the police. Probably, yeah, I have not spent a lot of time. So that's that's a conversation that shouldn't start this deep into an episode. Uh, no, probably <laughs> not. And you I, you have told me some stuff, yeah. but also your your interaction with the police would be nothing like someone who wasn't a straight white male. Oh, of course. So, and that's that's always the place I start and end those conversations. If mm -hmm. is like. If, if even I am treated in X fashion. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then imagine what it is for anyone who doesn't yeah. look like And that. I've always been keenly aware yeah. of that, but it's still, yeah. you you have experiences and they affect the way you see the world. Yes. But I, I'm also able to separate the fact that like, there's the real police and then there's the TV police and they are not the same people. <laughs> and I guess- There are no actual police on Brooklyn yeah. Nine-Nine. Those are actors. Totally. So I can enjoy the fictional world of it without yeah. necessary I mean I know that you know what we see on TV shapes how we see the world but yeah. also once you know you know once the scales fall from your eyes uh -huh. I think you can separate like this is fiction sure this is what's real yeah I can watch this fiction thing and I can say maybe let's not make more cop shows for a while 
yeah i think that's uh, the space we need you to know, be in as and, well or if we do let's be really careful about how we make them mm -hmm. um that perhaps the police don't need to be the good guys on the shows about the police yeah going forward maybe we could make the from the other side i mean the people who get closest show, to that are like vince gilligan gets closest to that really yeah. with things like breaking bad yeah. and better call Saul. but i yeah i i find it hard to throw out eight years of performances and and humor that i really enjoy and oh, you know, i totally hear you yeah yeah it's, and i think it would be interesting to explore kind of what you're talking about is the idea of a show about policing that doesn't center the police mm -hmm. You know, like I, you know, I don't know exactly what that would be. And you and I aren't responsible for making a show like this, so that I don't have to. Nope. But just the idea <laughs> of sort of seeing things from the other direction and a a character who is um, subject to police violence rather than personally embodying it. Yeah. When some of those exist, I mean, the, when mm -hmm. they see us, for instance, yeah. in Central Park Five. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those shows exist. There maybe aren't enough of them. There's, far outnumbered by the ones that you know tout the yeah. police as as good guys um yeah yeah i so, mean i think i think but yeah pi's investigating murder is more interesting to me anyway but yeah i think yeah. uh pi shows should definitely make a comeback i think yeah, that there, are there ways were to do times when they were super popular and you could do these kinds of procedural type shows that people seem to absolutely devour mm -hmm. without you them do it without without them the being police. copaganda exactly you know, or like um, I've just rewatched uh, Backdraft a while ago and Robert mm -hmm. De Niro's character in that is an arson investigator. Mm -hmm. Like that's still sort of the police, but it's not police uniforms. You know, he's an agent of yep. the state. He's investigating mm -hmm. crimes, but that might be a slightly different spin because it's not, you know, nominally the police. It's not the same uniforms. Mm -hmm. It's not the same rules. You know, there are lots of other ways that you could go. I mean, you and I could spend 10 minutes thinking of 10 different pitches Insurance for shows. Investigators. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are lots yeah. of different kinds. Tax auditors. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's absolutely what people are itching All for. All different is kinds of investigations. Centering the IRS as your heroes. Right. Well, in your country, mm -hmm. <laughs> in my country, it would be the CRA. <laughs> which which you all love. <laughs> no. No, we don't like them either. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my on gosh. that note, <laughs> I feel like this episode has been super duper long. I did not Me mark too. the time, but it's probably we're over 90. Uh, I would imagine so. I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, Hooray. What, what do you feel like plugging? Um, I think for now we're going to do a little bare bonesy plug. So ChristopherRoyce.com, say hi on Twitter, Chris I'm Royce. That's it for now. There'll be more later. Um, there's two exciting things I'll get to talk to you about towards the end of the year, but um, that's it for October. Cool um steviejackson.ca at stevkj on the socials uh you can come and uh join me at the cold reading series that i am now co-producing it is the first monday of every month at 7 p.m pacific time uh adjust that for wherever you are we don't really expect you to come <laughs> if you're not in the pacific time zone um it is uh, exactly what it sounds like we cold read things writers submit their scripts that they would like to hear out loud and professional actors are cast on the day to read them out loud in front of a zoom audience <laughs> someday it will again be a live audience the way it was for like 20 years before the pandemic um <laughs> but for now it's a zoom audience so you are you're welcome to join us it is free to register 
donations in the realm of $5 Canadian are certainly appreciated. Um, <laughs> if you follow me on, on Twitter, you will find all the info on that. But yeah, come check us out. We would love to see you. Uh, you can find show notes and more at buddieswithoutborders.tumblr.com. Uh, I, I don't know if that's 100% updated, but we will hopefully- It's not, but it will be. <laughs> make it better updated. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, soon, uh, say hi on Twitter at budswoboards. Uh, I think that's, was there another thing I'm supposed to plug? I think that's it. I don't know. Why do I always fall apart at the end of the show? <laughs> I should pre-record plugs like first thing <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for staying subscribed. Uh, please leave us a five-star review on, uh, wherever you're getting your podcasts. I always want to say Apple podcasts, but I know that you may be getting us somewhere else. There's uh, so many damn places to listen to podcasts now too. You could be anywhere. Uh, say nice things. Tell your friends, tell two friends, tell all your friends, tell your enemies. We will not mm -hmm. turn away listeners. <laughs> We, we, want, will, uh, we want the best people in your life and the worst people in your life to be subscribed to our show. But the mostly sort of okay people in your life, we're not interested in them. Ooh, solid burn. <laughs> All right. Uh, we will talk to you next month. Bye. Bye.